0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Hallelujah. Praise God. Good morning. Let's, um, let's pray first of all. Let's ask God to touch us, strengthen us. Hallelujah. Welcome each and every one of you here. Hallelujah. We want God's will to be done. Hallelujah. To touch us, those that are out back, I pray that God would touch them and strengthen them and anoint them. Hallelujah. And through the rest of the day, everything that is done and said, I pray that God would touch. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God of heaven right now, we love you, holy God. Father, we thank you for your presence. We ask you in Jesus' name, God, that you would anoint us, Lord God. Everything we do or say, we need you, God. Father, we can't do this on our own, God. I know that with your help, with your holy anointing, Lord God, you can touch us. You can anoint our minds, our words, Lord God. would be just not an endless speech, God. They would be anointed, God. Father, I pray right now, have your way. Touch, Lord God. Strengthen, open our minds, our hearts, Lord God, that we may receive, Lord God, of your holy word. Have your way this day, God. I thank you for what you're going to do. Touch us, Lord God, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. You. Now, I have something I want to speak about that I've wanted to speak about for a while. I just, I just hadn't. Um, but it seems like to me, um, and I'm sure with you, the one thing that um, has held us as a nation up to this point and, and one thing that as far as um, our families has been, it is that one thing we, we could rely on is just the family unit because we need something as a nation that we can always go back to. And when it comes to one man one woman and them marrying, we had that as a nation. We didn't have to wonder. We had that, that we believed that was the bedrock of our nation that we could have, that we could always go back to. And now it seems like everything that is done in our nation there, everything is being done to destroy that unit. It is just seeming like it's just um, whoever you are, you know, you can make your spouse whomever you want And the laws that are being passed in our country, um, I don't know, they're just, they're not the laws, they're not church-minded at all. And um, sometimes we just find ourselves waking up and looking out and, and just like, what happened to America? What happened to our country? Because this is not where we started at. A lot has been changed. And when it becomes quote unquote, the law. And a lot has happened. Um, One thing is concerning hate speech. And the church really has to be concerned with this because what is licensed under hate speech could literally affect him and what he ministers to us. Uh, Because it is... Wait, wait, wait a minute. You are offending this group of people. Therefore, it's, it's entitled under hate speech and therefore you can't minister that. But the apostle said a long time ago, we must obey God rather than man. So when it comes to crossing sword, there is no sword to cross. We know what we're going to go with. We're going with the word. And, and there again, it's just, um, it's just lines that has been crossed and we didn't draw them. This word is the one that drew the lines, and as crazy as it seems, that we have states in our union already that's that's uh, recognizing some is recognizing over 30 genders, and the Bible mm, they recognize a few less than that. But um, the Bible said, <laughs> okay, come on, come on. The, the Bible said in the beginning, that male and female, and God created them. Okay. But we have this that has been put into law and says as a business you must recognize them or you will be sued. So, you know, as a church, we can just say I won't deal with that. Well, the government's going to say you will deal with that or we'll deal with you. Here again, this is not lines that we drew. And it's just saying that that this is not where we started. So much has been changed in America and it is still going to change. But through all of this, through all that is happening right now, God knows where we're at, He knows what we face, what we live with. And it is truly in when it comes to us and what we believe and what established us and what our founders, the men that we just result from their hard work and benefit from their labor. We knew what they had, the truth that they dug out and they believed. We, we receive of what they had. And, and this I know, you know, cause I've told people they, they look at me funny. They say, you know, are you the truth? And I tell them, no, no, I'm not the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. I'm not the truth. This is the truth. And they get, you know, they look at us like we are the ones making up those rules. We did not make up no rules. This made up the rules. This defines the rules. This is the one that lays out the rules. In fact, God is the one that drew the line and he drew it in blood. And the last time I spoke, that's why I said what I said about Rahab when the spies told her, if you leave this house... Your blood be on your head. So God drew the line and he drew it in blood. If you leave the name, there's no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. So he told us from the very beginning, this is it. And really and truly, I've wrestled with this on how to do this. And I want to present it the right way. But there's one thing that truly bothers me. It really, truly, truly bothers me. But here again, I want to said from the beginning, we, as a church, as an apostolic church that believes this Bible, we do not make the rules. We live by the Bible. We go by what the Bible says. We do not say there's one God. The Bible says there's one God. We do not say you must be baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible says you must be baptized in Jesus' name. And they look at us, it's like we are the ones that has wrote these rules down. And the apostolic church is the one that has come up with these rules. Well, you must live holy. You must do this. You must do that. We hadn't come up with nothing. The Bible is the one that has come up with this. And this is what we have chose to believe. This is not something that we have wrote down. And the apostle said, we are, we have not just pinned this. This is just not our own philosophy that we have chose to wrote down and put a list of rules. And Brother Boyd said, we just wrote a list of rules and this is what we're going with. No. No. Heavens, no. We are going by the word of God. And it is the truth. And it's the truth that will follow. Now. My title is just simply Acts 4 and 12. And that's the first verse I want to read. Acts 4 and 12. And the Bible, the Bible says it this way. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, At no time do I want to appear arrogant in my talk today. But I'm telling you, some people you just want to go to them and say, Do you know this verse is in the Bible? There is no other name under heaven. Literally. Neither is there salvation. If you are saved, it will be through the name of Jesus Christ. That is not us. That is the Word of God. And he is saying, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, we are the one that have the fingers pointed at. We are the ones that say we keep it stirred up. We are the ones that are at fault. But I'm telling you, we go by what the Bible says. And we have a lot of accusers that it's through the name of Jesus Christ. No name, person, or authority is able to save from sin but Jesus Christ. The Bible plainly tells us this. Plainly tells us this. Now, in Matthew uh, 16, 26. Now, I have a lot of favorite scriptures. This is one of them. He says, and I have a purpose for reading this. For what is a man profited... If he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, that is not me telling you the value of your soul. This is Jesus Christ himself, God manifested in the flesh, telling humanity what is the value of their soul. So he's telling them this. That is that is the value placed by God. And he knew humanity, so I believe that is why he put it in terms that we could understand. He says, what would you be profited? If you could gain it all, you would still be the loser. So God himself says it just literally like this. If you gained it all, it still would not equal the value of your soul. Really, do we understand that? If God said, on the planet in which you live, if you owned everything your eyes beheld... And you literally gave it to me or your soul. I would choose your soul. If you choose material possessions, you would be the loser. That is the value that God places on humanity. And then he says, he leaves us with a question. What shall man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I believe, I believe that he said, or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? I believe that question... It is just my opinion. I don't believe the answer is soul because God owns your soul regardless. Whether you give it to Him or not, He will deal with it. Whether you give it to Him or not. Now, I believe that is literally the only thing that we have that we possess is something that God has already given us, and that's our free will. So I believe as a result of that, that's when Abraham, God told Abraham, for now I know. And I believe literally he was just telling Abraham, for now I know that you know, that you know, Abraham, that you will withhold nothing from me. I know that's an Old Testament illustration, but I believe the one in the New Testament uh, illustration is when the parable of the lost son when he left now when you look at it from Jewish tradition they was just not you would not take a younger son and the father cutting up the family uh, positions before the old one the eldest cut it up first and here is a younger one saying father give me all the possessions I have coming nowhere in this parable do you read of the father telling him no no You have a will. If you choose to leave, I will let you go. So the father lets him go. Out of his own free will, he lets him leave. But also in that parable, we see the only time God running is so when that man that chose his will to leave. And the Bible literally says, and when he came to himself, when he chose to come back, And give himself. That's why the older son I believe was mad. But the father says you're looking at it wrong. The will that I gave him. He chose to give back to me. Therefore he has come home with everything. So I believe that is the only thing we possess. So when you give your will to God. That is the only thing that we have. That we could give to God. That would equal the value of our soul. And that would be our will. So this truly this, we have literally, when we lose our will and give it to God, that is the one thing that we possess that we have. Now I want you to, if you will turn with me to um, St. John uh, the fifth chapter. What this is speaking of, you can read about it earlier. I'm going go I'm going to go a little bit further down in the chapter. But previous what has happened, just to let you know the mindset of the Jews, there was a man that was laid at the pool. We knew he had had this sickness for 38 years. And the Lord tells him to, to take up his bed and walk. And then the Jews sees him toting his bed, and it just happens to be the Sabbath, so they just turned inside out. Now think about it. The man's had this uh, sickness for 38 years. The Jews sees him in his bed. And they're just livid because he's actually toting his bed on the Sabbath. And they said, what are you doing? Now really, the church of that day should have said, what a miracle. For 38 years, this bed has held you. And from the very first day you hold the bed, they're mad because he's toting it on the Sabbath. So, this is the type of attitude that God is dealing with. They are just fighting mad because He's toting His bed, the the one that has held Him for 38 years. Jesus has healed Him. But this is the Jews. In the 30, turn with me, um, 5th chapter, 37th verse. Now, and the Father Himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. And boy, that's a true statement ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape and ye have not his word abiding in you for whom he has sent him ye believe not 39 search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me and 40 and ye will not come to me that ye might have life now Jesus is standing there face to face with them, and he tells them this in 37, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. But earlier in that verse, the Father which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Now the Old Testament had some like 330 references that there was coming a Messiah, that God himself was going to take on flesh. So this is Jesus standing there talking to them in the flesh, and he's telling them, Ye have neither heard his voice nor seen his shape at any time. This is Jesus standing there talking to the Jews. Now who is Jesus? God manifested in the flesh. Who is Jesus? The image of the invisible God. Now he's standing there telling them, You've neither heard his voice or seen his shape at any time. So what's wrong with the picture? The Bible plainly tells us you interpret Scripture with Scripture. He's telling them plainly, you've never seen God or heard His voice. But Jesus is standing there face to face with them telling them they've never done it. And they're standing there talking to God. And He says, you will not believe me. I'm telling you, you have neither seen God or heard His voice. And He's standing there talking to them. The Bible is not lying when it says Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, is true. They has bound up by so much of their tradition and what they believe to be true. They're just so mad because this man toting his bed for 38 years, how dare him, God heal him on the Sabbath, was just so caught up in what they thought was truth. God himself standing there talking to them and Jesus plainly told him, I'm standing here talking to you and you can't even see who I am. I'm God manifested in the flesh, standing right two foot from you, and you don't even believe who I am. And you don't even know it. We live in the same world today. We tell people day in and day out, there is one God. He was manifested in the flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. And all we hear is, no, we don't believe that. The Bible don't say that. The Bible does say that. There is only one God. And we are told, our children is only told. That is why we are so careful what we teach our children. Because everywhere they go, they are told there's three gods. Three gods that's manifested in one. That you must be baptized another way other than what we baptize. Everywhere they go, they are just made subject to this everywhere they go. So he's telling them, you better search the scriptures because you think you are so spiritually smart that you have automatically eternal life. God is telling them, you better search out because you think, you think you have eternal life. And God is telling them, no, no, no. If you don't believe I'm God manifested in the flesh, you better go back and search this word some more because you don't, you don't have eternal life. Just because you think you do, you don't. And he's telling them, he says, and you have not his word abiding in you because whom he has sent, him ye believe not. They just did not believe Jesus was the one. They wanted Jesus to come riding in on some beautiful stallion, slay all the Romans, and just take order. And Jesus said, no, the first time, I'm coming as a lamb. The second time, I'm going to come as a lion. But he just tells them, you have got to believe I am who I say I am. Just as he told Moses, I am that I am. You believe who I am. And they just wouldn't believe it. So he tells them, all right. You better search the scriptures. You better search the scriptures. And now, most people, that is why God, sitting on the Mount of Olives, the first thing He tells them at the beginning of this long course, He tells them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, my point is this. We live in a world And I don't have the exact figure. I read of one, but it was a few years old, so I'm I'm not going to use the figure. But we live in a Christian, I'm speaking of the Christian world, that has baptized people that no one, no one was baptized in this scripture with. No one. That is truly alarming to me. I don't know the exact figure, but I'll tell you this. It's in the nineties of percent. If you took a hundred percent of the Christian people, it is in the nineties of people that was baptized in a, in a method that no one in this Bible was baptized. And you wonder why God said, take heed that no man deceive you. Why in the world is it somebody standing up and saying, wait a minute. The way you just baptized me, no one in this scripture was baptized with. No one. No one was baptized this way. And they point fingers at us and just pure hate us. Because we say you must be baptized in Jesus' name. Because the Bible says you must be baptized in Jesus' name. And we say there's one God because Jesus says there's one God. The Bible says there's one God. This is the one that says, according to to the church they say the christian world we're wrong we're wrong well i'm just going with what the bible says this is not what we made up this is what the word of god said now that is why that is why i read matthew 16:26. Because said, the value of your soul is worth more than your eyes can see. Because if God placed that much value on your soul, then he would not come and just purposely mess up your salvation. Because he said, there is neither salvation in any other name. So when it come time to be baptized, you read in the Bible, no one was baptized in a method that just about everyone in the Christian world is being baptized with. No one. It is... I don't know. Okay. I just don't have words. I'm going... I'm going to read some scriptures to you. In Isaiah... And I'm not... I am i promise you I'm not trying to be arrogant. Uh, Isaiah 44... Isaiah 44, if, if I'm going to try to go through these as quick as I can, so, but just follow on screen if you don't want to turn. Isaiah 44, 44-6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Verse 8, fear ye not, neither be ye afraid. Have I not told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye, ye, God said, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Now, jump to 45, 45. Chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God besides me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Verse 12, I made the earth, I have made the earth, and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all the host have commanded have I commanded verse 18 for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens God himself that formed the earth and made it and hath established it he created it not in vain he formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord and there is none else verse 22 look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else I have sworn by myself uh, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, And that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Verse four, uh, chapter 46, verse 3. Hearken ye unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, um, verse 4, and even to your old age, I am he, even to the, I'm going to say gray hairs that I will carry you, I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and I will deliver you. Now, verse 9 and 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now, this is the schoolmaster. He's not going to take us from this. God, Jesus Christ is the completion of that law. It's not going to go from this to all of a sudden three gods. It's just not, it's just not, it's just not. It's just not going to happen. Now, I want to, God repeatedly told him that he, he was God. But there was none else. I didn't give him this, but I just want to. I just, want to, I just want to share this. This is just my view, and I'll tell you that up front. We quote this a lot. We say when we worship, we must worship in spirit and truth, but I'm going to tell you what I think that means. This is where Jesus met the woman at the well, and the Bible says that he revealed to her literally who he was she said we know that the messiah is coming and jesus said i am he that speaketh basically i am he but he said he literally got the truth out of the woman when he tells her go call your husband and and we know the story how the you know the truth comes out and that's where she she perceives thou art a prophet but he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye know not. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, salvation is going, to be, is going to come of the Jews, speaking of him, Jesus Christ. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now listen, this is what sells me on this. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. This is what we quote. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, I believe what is... what, And then later on, that's when God tells her, when she asked Him, you know, are, are you the Messiah? He tells him, I that speaketh unto thee am He. Now... Jesus tells her, looking at the woman, "The Father seeketh such to worship Him." So here, and she just, and, and God just plainly tells her, "God is a spirit; they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth." I believe what God was telling her is what you're worshiping. You don't even know, since God is a spirit. When He tells her that you must worship in spirit and truth what God was telling, what Jesus was telling her. If you worship, you must worship God. And when you do, you worship in spirit. God is a spirit. And I just read uh, just a few of the scriptures in Isaiah. So what Jesus was telling her, you don't know who you worship. If you want your worship to count... Then God is a spirit. So what's your Jesus? What I believe was telling her, you must worship in spirit. That was Jesus. He was taking the Old Testament and truth. Who is Jesus? He is truth, and he was telling her, you must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, I believe God was telling her, if you want your worship to count, then you must believe that God Himself inhabits the praises and inhabited the body of Jesus Christ. For God is a spirit and the Father is seeking such to worship him. So we know that God is a spirit. But in worshiping God, what you're doing is you're saying, I believe that God of the Old Testament inhabited the body of Jesus Christ and he is that truth. So to worship God in our worshiped account, we must worship in spirit and in truth and if we do that then our worship will count and that's where the woman told him you're a prophet and god literally tells her i am the messiah that was to come so i believe that that's what jesus was telling her and that's just my thoughts on that roman 14 excuse me uh yeah roman 14 turn to romans 14 and uh 14 and 9 now, for to end, this is uh, Paul, um, if he wrote Romans. For to end Christ, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why does thou judge thy brother, or why does I set at nought thy brother? For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. Now, we as apostolics have no issue with this scripture. Now, Jehovah in the Old Testament just said, Every knee is going to bow to me, and every tongue is going to swear to me. And here Jesus is saying, I'm the judge. Every knee is going to bow to me. There is no contradiction. The Spirit of Jehovah dwelt in the body of Jesus Christ, He is God Himself. And where Paul's saying Christ is the judge, we have no issue with. Because we believe God dwelled in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when it says that every knee is going to bow to me, they literally meant Jesus Christ. That's why he said that all the fullness dwelled in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you, if you will, or you can just follow, turn with me. There's a passage in Ezekiel. That I want to read. It's Ezekiel the uh, ninth ninth chapter. And this is a little gory. But it's a a vision that God gave Ezekiel. Now, I'll just read it first. It's uh, Ezekiel 9, um, 4-6. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men, that sign cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said uh, in my hearing, Go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, and come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they begin at the ancient men which was before the house. Now, this is a vision that God gave to Ezekiel. And at the end of this, you can read where Ezekiel literally said, Lord, would you really do this? But in this vision, uh, six men are told. We read previous that six men come and they was told to go. And the unique thing about it, the Bible told them in this vision to go to the middle of Jerusalem and start. And one of the six men, the Bible says, had an ink horn. And you take and you mark the foreheads of those that have literally, that sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the midst of the city. Now, it is my opinion that... The reason that they didn't start at the sanctuary, they went to the middle of the city, is because those in the middle of the city, maybe they was not, and this is just all me, maybe they was not righteous enough, or maybe they was not, we could say they was not part of the church, but the abominations that was done in Jerusalem at that time, they knew they were wrong. They was not part of the church, but God said, if they sigh and if they cry at what's being done, mark them. And then he tells them later, when you start this, in the vision, he says, when you start, go not near the ones that you have marked. You leave them alone. Maybe they, is a way we would put it, maybe they was not saved. Maybe they, but they knew within themselves, this, this is just not right. This, whatever's being done is not right. And I believe today in our land, we have people that's not sitting on these pews that just know what's being done in America today. It's just not right. It's just, they feel within themselves, you know, I'm not at church, I'm not a so-called Christian, but I know within myself, it is not right what is being done. God, I believe God was in himself was saying, I can work with that. Those that are stone cold reject me, don't mark them. But those within themselves have a yearning that they just sigh and cry of what the evil that is taking taken place, you mark them. And then he tells them, and then he says, and to me almost you could see the people in this vision that was at the sanctuary thought they had it made. Yes, he said go to the city and mark. We're within the confines of the sanctuary, so we're okay. And then as we say, the other shoe dropped, and God himself, For previous in this chapter, the Bible says the presence between the cherubims had left. So there's no, there's no argument on who gave this command. God himself gave this command. So he says, begin at my sanctuary. Now, I believe the reason why he said that It is of my belief that the ones at the sanctuary should have already been marked. And the sad thing of it is, they went back and those were right in the courts were the elders, the 70 elders. And the Bible says that the 70 elders was the first ones to be slain. The ones that should have knew better The ones that should have been helping the young. The ones that should have been setting the standards. The ones that should have been established in their walk with God. The ones that shouldn't have been in and out and well I don't know about this or I want to see how close to the line I can get. God said you go to my sanctuary and there you begin this slaughter. And the Bible plainly tells us in this vision the elders was the first to be slain. And that is what I believe is that's my interpretation of it that's why he says you go to the middle those that are ones that's not in the church but know this is wrong mark them i can deal with them they not to the church yet but i can deal with them but you start at my sanctuary peter in the new testament said this that judgment must begin at the house of god so it's just because we grew up or we're around this truth. And we cannot take this truth for granted, thinking we have a shoe in. God will, he will excuse no one, nobody. Everyone must obey this truth that we have. So he told them, he says, you take, you begin at my sanctuary. And the reason why I think God didn't tell them, really, don't mark. He told them, nowhere in this vision do you see God tell them to go to the sanctuary and mark anybody. They should have already been marked. They should have already had God's seal. The Bible plainly tells us the Holy Ghost is our seal. It is our seal that we have. In Revelation 7, the Bible tells us that the four angels, in Revelation chapter 7, the the four angels held the four winds of the earth. And in this chapter, he's telling them, you can't do nothing until I seal of the the 12,000 from each tribe. In other words, the seal is important in scripture and the holy ghost is our seal that is what will protect us when it comes time to do the wrath of god his seal is the holy ghost and it's what we have and now literally that is why that is why we live in a in a world that just says i don't want to say we fight but we are up against It just says you can do what you want. You accept the Lord. Your salvation is secure. it's, It's eternal secure. The Bible does not support that. And they put us out on the defense all the time. And we're painted out as the black sheep by saying you're the ones that are so hard and so callous with the word of God. No, we're not. We go by what the word of God says. We're not condemning nobody to no lake of fire. We do not have that right. We don't have the right to condemn nobody. What we have to do is follow the word of God. And they have took grace and turned it into disgrace as far as I'm concerned. But the Bible says that you have, that's why, of the two sons of Aaron, that's why God said he devoured them. They offered strange fire. We know that. They literally made the fire themselves. And God said he just would not have that. So he destroyed them, devoured them, the Bible says. So that's why, it's just saying that you just can't, you can't do what you want, live what you want. And God, he, that's why I said, that is really and truly, I've said it, and I don't know no other way to say it. God will not, as a schoolmaster says, demand And no one, not even the priest, only the Bible says the high priest could go in into the Holy of Holies. And the Bible says he had to have everything right lest you die. So everything had to be done correctly. And now, and that's the high priest. If you read on that, I mean even the priest, the priest didn't even have access to that. Only the high priest. And so if you read and follow all of that, just how what they had to do to come into God's presence. And the thing of it was, you was coming into the Holy of Holies, which was God's presence. And now we go from that to the day of Pentecost. God pours out His Spirit. And then all of a sudden the church world says, Accept God. Live any way you want. Your salvation is secure. Take heed that no man deceive you. Because scripture does not support that. And just we're painted all the time as the mean ones. We're the ones that want to make it so hard that people can't live it. No, we're not. No, we're not doing that. We are not doing that. So in the Bible, in the book of Acts, he tells us, uh, turn with me to Acts 2. The Bible plainly says that he takes and we know the apostle said, we've quoted it before, that he, that holy men of God was moved on by the Holy Ghost, which means it was God-breathed. They wrote the scripture as God moved on them. In other words, God directed them what to write. They was moved on by the Holy Ghost. So therefore, the Holy Ghost, the Trinitarians would have us to believe it's just another person. It's not. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. Literally, the Spirit of God. So he takes by the Holy Ghost and he moves the people So, of the Old Testament. They give us the writings of the Old Testament. They was moved on by the Holy Ghost. So now... God, He just has a time frame. That's why the Bible says in chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, you know, our time frame and God's time frame very seldom is probably going to ever match. But God just has a time frame that He goes with. So, but what I'm saying is God took the, the holy men of God and moved on them by the Holy Ghost. That we know for sure that God moved on them, directed them, guided them by the Holy Ghost. But when it comes to pouring out His Spirit, it was still going to use, like in the Old Testament, they come together, they put their offering out, the burnt offering, fire come down from heaven, consume the sacrifice, then they took the coals, ignited the incense, that's just the way that God commanded it for to be done. Now, listen how close it parallels with this that was the way god commanded it to be done now verse 1 and when the day of pentecost was fully come they were with all uh, they were with one accord in one place and suddenly there came as a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it set upon them and it set upon each of them And they was all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the Bible tells us plainly that they took, presented their sacrifice, God consumed the sacrifice, fire come down, they did this, that we know. But on the day of Pentecost, you know, I believe God just ramped it up a little bit, I guess you could say. For now, stood of that gentle voice that he guided the men of the Old Testament, now, the Bible says, he put a sound as a rushing mighty wind to uh, to therefore his spirit. And where he is accepting their sacrifice, there appeared to them as cloven tongues like as a fire. That's why I said, and they must speak, they spoke with the Holy Ghost as the spirit gave the utterance. In other words, God approved of their sacrifice at the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, because cloven tongues of fire set upon each and every one of them. God approved on what they done. And they spoke by the Spirit as the Spirit gave the utterance, therefore signifying they had been baptized with the Spirit of God. So, as Jesus told us, and His Word tells us, that He is the completion of the Old Testament. Not that it's being done away with completely. A lot of it has changed, but Jesus completed it. That's why... That I believe that He did this because it literally trans, it it, really, it it goes right along with basically of the Old Testament sacrifice. One other thing I want to read to you, and I'll quit. Second Corinthians, turn with me um, to 2 Corinthians four. Okay, Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And let's read uh, 3 through 7. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, verse 3 is just obvious. For if our gospel be hid, it's hindered the them lost. Now, when I first started coming here, um, I heard them statements like, this truth is a revelation. And I don't know why, but I just, I don't know. I just got in my head at something that was hid. And, you know, but when we, my parents, we went to church. You know, I've, I've always just believed in one God. Um, we went to a church of God, and, and I love the pastor there and still do. Um, but what I come here, I, I can remember this, this truth is a revelation. Um, and I understand that now, but I'm telling you straight up, this truth is not hid. It is not hid. And it's tell it, the Bible plainly tells us it's hid to them that are lost for this reason they will not believe. Just as clear as Jesus was standing face to face with the Jews saying, you've never seen His shape or heard His voice. And God Himself standing there talking to them. And when Jesus could have plainly said, you don't see Jehovah standing in front of you? Because He is. And Him standing right in front of them. But, The verse that I love is verse 6. For God, and and this is try as we may, this is one thing we cannot do, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We can't do that. (laughs) Only God can do that. That is why it's just no matter where a person has been, this goes all the way back. We can make a spiritual application, but this goes all the way back to creation where the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep but we can take no matter how dark our lives is in the time that I spoke I use the example of a flashlight all we can do is shine light on the subject but God goes from the inside out so it will not get too dark so anytime we try to help someone with this truth God has commanded commanded the light to shine out of darkness for if they want to see this truth all they have to do is want to no matter what they've been taught no matter if tradition is up to here God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness and he will do it and shine listen in our hearts to give the light to give that light of the knowledge of the glory of God now God has plainly told us I will not give my glory to another. Plain, pure and simple in the Old Testament. This is Jehovah talking. I will not give my glory to another. He said, now, in verse 6, to give a light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, where is that glory? It is in the face of Jesus Christ or in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, This is where we read verse 7. But we have this treasure. You are the one that has been privileged to know that there is one God and Jesus Christ is his name. Paul is saying we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. This is the treasure. This is what we have. This is what we know. We live in a world that is so different from what what we believe. And it is just it is truly amazing, it is truly amazing that people literally, almost our entire Christian world is baptized that no one, not one person was baptized in scripture, not one, I'm telling you that, that, that is eat me up, not one was baptized and the Bible says there is only one God, We don't say that. This holy word says that. But the apostle told us, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Hallelujah. God bless you.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.